Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish Island. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Tegan. I'm Paul. And this week we had a dinner party. Why are we speaking like we're on children's television? Hello, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, should I start again? No, it's fine. No, no, no. Because I think we're still recovering from the fact that uh, Emma Wiggle has retired. Oh, my God. Still devastated. We have to get her on the show. We won't be able to. There's going to be a media blackout. No, what do you mean? Well, she's not going to spill the terrible secrets of the Wiggles. She's going to want to talk about how wonderful it was. Either way, we had a dinner party and we need to stay on topic because, Paul, there's so much to talk about. Oh, my God. So lockdown has sort of ended in Melbourne. We're on the, uh, what are we calling it? The road out? Uh, it's a, Look, this road has been going for a goddamn eternity. <laughs> anyway, we're on the road out yep. and we had two of our friends over. Paul, you cooked them a main. Would you like to talk people through your lovely main? It was an orichette with chickpeas and white wine and rosemary and I fry the chickpeas up. At some point, I'm going to talk you guys through the recipe in detail. But suffice to say, they seem pretty happy. I mean, I, I, I serve them... Okay, you know in school where you had to make a big sign on a piece of cardboard and you start writing whatever you got to write and you start real big because you haven't judged how much space there is left on the sign. Yes. And as you go on, you get to the end, there's four letters left and you kind of just trail off and do tiny letters. Yes. So I served our guests first and I served them the big letters. I'm so glad you brought this up because you do my head in that you do. <laughs> this. So Paul, instead of putting four bowls out and serving up four bowls of pasta and making sure they're all kind of equal, mm. he will serve one bowl of pasta up, then deliver it to the eater of said pasta. <laughs> then he'll do the next one. And the funny thing is, is you always end up with this piddling amount of pasta because you very politely serve yourself like, and you spent the whole meal yeah. coveting my bowl to the point that I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't finished, and Paul just slid my bowl away okay. from me. How are you going to eat that? No, you didn't even ask. You just slid the no, no. bowl away. No, no, I made a face. I made a face. <laughs> it was like a wounded puppy dog. Oh, God. And kind of a, a, like a shrug. Oh, dear. Yeah. So that's that was the main. It w- it was lovely, Paul. Just in case you're wondering, it was very nice. Oh, can we just go circle back to the fact that our lovely guests, who couldn't possibly fit these <laughs> stupid servings I gave them, had to throw out like a quarter of the pasta. And because of the global pandemic, I couldn't then go, eh, to hell with the rules, and eat their pasta. No, we probably can't share food 
just yet. No. Not in this is not in this part of the roadmap. Mm. Then for dessert, we didn't actually have to make dessert. Our lovely friend Zara made dessert and she whipped up one of Darren Purchase's Basque cheesecakes. Oh. Is it Basque or is it Basque? I think it's Basque. Basque yeah. cheesecakes, which you've probably seen them going wild on Instagram at the moment. It's the beautiful cheesecake that has the really burnt top, this gorgeous chocolatey brown, almost black in the middle. Mm. I have never had a cheesecake like this before. It was so good. Yeah, it was perfect. Now, the brilliant thing about this cheesecake is it doesn't really need anything on it because it's got the lemon curd in the middle of it mm-hmm. and it, it's just it's it's a full dessert. It's perfect. However, you're a grumble monster and you wanted cream. Yep. Now, just by chance, I had some more cream in the fridge because we're going on this ice cream making odyssey. However, I could not be bothered bringing out my entire KitchenAid just to whip up one serve of whipped cream. And that is when our friend Zara threw a food hack down that has changed our world. That sounds very violent, like she threw a knife at us. No, <laughs> what she actually did was just she just said, look, you don't have to get the KitchenAid out. Do you have a jar? And so we scrambled around for an old salsa jar. Actually, no, you'd made candles floating in water in jars. So we empty that out, clean it out, and then she fills it about a third of the way with the cream, with the pouring cream, yep. and then just starts shaking it like she was at a cocktail bar. Yeah. Just goes ham on it. Now, after about, I would say, two and a half minutes, she opened it up and said, oh, good, it's not butter. And then she showed it to me, and basically it had just turned into very thickened cream. It was It's so obvious. It's another one of those things that's so obvious, but mm. it's so great. So if you're at home and you ever just need to whip up a single serve of cream, don't go getting all the mixes out. Just grab an empty jar. Do not overfill it because you need for there to be a lot of shake in yeah. order to get the whipping action sort of happening. Mm. But it's great. And then you've also got this tiny little jar filled with cream. It's, it was adorable. It's so lovely. I wonder if that works with us. So is your blood too runny? Why not just shake yourself <laughs> around till it thickens? No, it was great. And it went really well with the cheesecake. And then we went to the park and had a little picnic and ate way too much of it the next day. Yeah. So thank you, Zara, for hardening our arteries. And just a little note, speaking of hardening arteries, you don't want thickened blood for anybody at home. That is not the goal. That is not the aim. But speaking of desserts, our guest this week, I'm not going to tease her out, everybody. It's M. Ruciano, and we are so excited to chat with her. But last week, we put out a question to all of you lovely listeners. Could you guess M. Ruciano's desert island dish? And we had a few people getting in touch with what they thought M. would choose. I'll remind you all that we thought M. would probably choose some sort of fancy ice cream cake. It was like a, yeah, the McDonald's ice cream cake, but But on a big budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Somebody else suggested fairy bread, just straight up fairy bread, which I think is either adorable or... Or insulting. (laughs) I can't decide which one. However, Paul, you're going to have to talk me through this one because I don't know what this is, but you immediately lit up. They have said that M's Desert Island dish would be an aggro cone. Yeah. Is this is this a drug thing I don't know? Or no. is this some angry woman thing? No. That- Look, aggro was a very strange character. For those of you listening overseas, aggro was sort of a children's television breakfast TV presenter that was an angry little puppet. I don't know what he was. Oh, you mean... Oh, right. So actually aggro. Yes. It's aggro. Right. Yeah, it was this puppet that was on all of our um, weekday television shows, and he would just say really disgusting things, mostly to any female co-hosts or guests on the show. <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to really ruin yourself, look up aggro bloopers. It's it's pretty stressful. It's like if the Grouch, what's his name, if Oscar the Grouch had yeah. a f- up cousin. Yeah. That was aggro. No, 100%. 
And aggro was a pretty loose dude. <laughs> and the aggro cone was a big thing. So I'm pretty sure you go to a Mr. Whippy and you'd look along all the kind of basic stuff, you know, soft serve with a flake in it, dipped in, you know, dipped in Milo, whatever. And then there was the aggro cone, which looked like aggro. So imagine a soft serve dipped in chocolate powder. Uh-huh. And then you have, you know, a tooth lolly, but it was uh-huh. upside down to represent his animal underbite. Then you'd have a Jaffa in the middle for his nose, two half bananas for the yellow furry bits on his cheeks, and then two Smarties. And then you just sort of eat aggro. Agro's face. <laughs> but it was a weird combination of inappropriate pop culture and lots of sugar, which I think is pretty much Emrishiana's brand. <laughs> Without further ado, we are joined by comedian, singer, radio presenter, podcaster, writer, and an absolute ball of energy. She is a staggeringly prolific performer, and we are so excited to have her here. Please welcome Emrushiano. Em, thank you so much for joining us on Dish Island. I guess the first question we should ask you is, how did you get here today? How did I get here today? Mm. Was, I, was I supposed to have a pre-prepared joke for this? <laughs> Just an email? <laughs> Shit, I'm so sorry. What? What? Oh, my God, start again. Go oh, no, 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 we won't. No, here's the thing. Paul's made this his new thing of really leaning into how how we get people here. And we had Dummy Im on last week, and she yeah. just really honestly went, well, I logged in and you were here. Oh, I, I was going to go back to, like, well, on March the 1st, 1979, my mother went into labour and uh, was taken to the Greensboro Hospital by my father. She was terrified. Like, is that how far back I'm going? Well, that's a really long play, but if you want to do the full Benjamin Button-style intro, we can do that. That's fine. <laughs> No, you know what? Spare her, Paul. Spare her. You are trapped on our island now forever. You cannot leave. Oh, how did I get to the island? I'm such a terrible guest. I'm so sorry. I was on a bo- I was on a yacht and pirates aborted our ship and um, I was the sexy captive, but I escaped and swam to your island and saw this beacon of hope on the horizon and here we are. Oh, great. You know, I could easily just cut all that stuff from before out where we floundered, but honestly, I think it's part of your charm, right, that we got there in the end. Pivot, pivot, yeah. Yeah, I also, I'm really, I'm learning so much about people during this podcast, not only about their relationships with food, but when you ask anybody to come up with on the spot just just a really fun story, it always goes to some element of violence. Nobody's just been like, oh, I happily sailed here. It's always like, the blimp exploded or f***ing pirates. Like, yep. It's just so aggressive. We're, we're clearly all in lockdown. But Em's the first one to kind of throw sexy into the mix. So when you, when you say sexy captive, yeah. what are you mm. talking about? Oh, well, when they were grabbing me, my um, my corset ripped open, exposing <laughs> my bountiful... I have huge breasts, by the way. This is coming from a 10A cup. I have massive, bountiful bosoms that leapt forth from my being and um, my skirt was ripped up to my thigh and um, I was very sexy. I was sexy captive. That's how they referred to me. I heard them say, where's the sexy captive? I don't know. Who's got the sexy captive? And then they're like, oh shit, she's escaped. And the sex- and I swam and I'm a very good swimmer and I look graceful when I swim and off I came. Great. So, yeah. Do you know what this reminds me of? Uh, it's Captain actually- Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. I'm the captain now. I, um, when I was in high school, I was one of the, actually, I was the only person who really enjoyed watching that show Hornblower. Uh, did you ever watch Hornblower? No, I watched a lot of Ship to Shore, which I don't think is the same thing. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Such a great show. Such a great show. Oh the God. guy who played the security guard on there, Hermes, I think was his name, yeah. uh, used to hang out in this uh, cafe that I would go to. Stop it was it. always, yeah, and he would just go from table to table kind of bragging that he was in shit to show. Yes, sir. I would be, sir. Yes, you were. May I have a photo? 
<laughs> that was almost, that would be as exciting. I once saw Hodor, sorry, you're going to have to go with my brain. I once saw Hodor at the airport in like Perth and I was dying. I'm going, it's Hodor, it's Hodor, it's Hodor. And everyone's around me, obviously not Game of Thrones fans. And um, that was probably the most exciting moment. But if I had have seen that security guard from ship to shore, that would be a very close second. I got over it after the 10th humble brag, but still, <laughs> it was exciting. You do keep, there's only so many tables, so he kept doing laps. <laughs> Look, all I was going to say about Hornblower is that yeah. the title, I mean, it clearly gives it away. It was utterly horny in my yes. mind. But there was just, there weren't enough sexy women on the show. And my whole dream has always been to remake Hornblower almost shot for shot, but just putting more ladies in that would just be heaven for me because uh i do love a good romance and if it's on the sea even better lady pirates is a whole genre that we could explore because there's just not enough of it you know when i saw wonder woman and saw the amazonians i'm like i need a whole series on the amazonian women i also need a whole series on female pirates because i feel like that would be so much more interesting than what we get and also the men pirates, it's always like hot and swashbuckling. But in reality, there was a lot of scurvy, a really bad personal hygiene, losing teeth. Like, I don't know how we got from there to sexy. I don't understand. A lot of eyeliner, unnecessary. So, yeah, I, I think you're on just something takes. I feel like you need to pitch a lady pirate show. I would watch that. I think actually what's happened is there were lady pirates, but you never saw them because they had good dental hygiene. So true. They had a functioning command system. Yeah. Their tailoring was impeccable, and they never got caught because they the men were just... The men, so at some point, they had to eat their own shoes. They were so hungry. <laughs> they yeah. did. I get it. Well, I'm on your island. Sexy as captive as landed. Please excuse my nipples. My hot top was ripped. We'll just try and keep our eyes above <laughs> above the collarbone. That's eyes fine. Eyes are up here, Paul. Yep, eyes are up here. Well, look, you mentioned to me, Em, that you take food very seriously and that, that you're a foodie. How do, how do you define foodie? I guess I centre a lot of my life experiences around food. Um, I'm also Italian, brought up in an Italian household. My father was born in Italy. And mm. so food is the most important aspect of our lives. And so I guess from a very early age, I would hand make pasta with my nonna and I would, you know, we'd go to the markets and we'd, we'd go around to all the vendors and we'd pick the best oranges, the best tomatoes. So food has always had a very positive connotation in my life. And then as I got older and, you know, started watching MasterChef and, um, became aware of people can actually really get into food and make it their thing. I mm. kind of gave me permission to do that. So I started experimenting with cooking wild things and we love going to restaurants in this family and event restaurants. There's one in Melbourne called Attica, which I just love because you get served like dessert in a crocodile skull. And I don't know, I just, I've always loved food. And then as I've gotten older, I've just really gotten into experimenting with different types of dishes and eating foods that, you know, ants, fire ants and all wild things. So I don't know, but I'm, I love it. And I've even eaten, I've eaten at Michelin star restaurants in, in New York and I've eaten in Rome. I've eaten all over the world. But the, the dish I bring to this island is very disappointing. I'm so sorry, but I had to be honest. That's fine. We've not been able to guess anybody's dish yet. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see, to see what sort of a, a dish you've brought. But I've got to ask, <laughs> when, when we all went into lockdown, because we're finally in Melbourne coming out of this, mm. and as Australia, we're still recovering from all of this, did you go deeper into the food hole? Yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, I certainly gained a lot in lockdown and an extra chin was one of them. I, <laughs> I, uh, I just started, my trauma response is aggressively mothering everyone, um, even if you're not my child. So 
I was cooking for relatives and dropping them off. I was making these elaborate meals. We would have dress ups at my house every Saturday night. I made my family theme dress and I would rage and anxiety cook all week. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) my family ended up having these incredible dinner parties. That was lockdown one. Lockdown two, I lost my vim and vigor around that. And there's just a lot of uh, Uber Eats happening just, but we were really, really going for it different places. but yeah, I did certainly lockdown one. I got very excited, but lockdown, hard lockdown two. Yeah, I lost my enthusiasm. The, the theme dress ups kind of stopped, and it was like, hey, let's put our nighttime pajamas on, get out of our daytime pajamas, and have tuna on toast. And but you know, food's food, guys. It makes you feel good. I do love the daytime pajamas. I've just spent far too much money on an outfit that I'm pretty sure is just fancy pajamas. But you know what? I'm gonna lean in. It'll be fine. Yeah, there was a strange noise in the background, Em, during this like. There was a strange noise. I'm pretty sure it's the delivery guy trying to deliver Tegan's very expensive. Oh, is it really? Yeah, that's why. I... Ah, that's that is why so like... exciting. Oh my god, go and get it because unboxing at my place. I now have a personal relationship with our local postie who delivers stuff. Like he comes in and waits for me to open stuff now. So. Right. Oh, that's so nice. If you need to get it, I get it. No, you know what? That's all right. It can sit down there. We trust our neighbours. But Paul, you've been you've been keen to chat to M for quite some time now because oh. you've just discovered something about yourself that Paul's been grappling with for some time. And in reading your posts, he's been having quite a moment, actually. Yeah, because I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was a teenager. And I'd say a few years ago, I kind of started to revisit this diagnosis and go, that explains basically every problem Mm -hmm. I've ever had. But also it explains why I'm good at specific things. Mm -hmm. And I was curious as to how finding out this stuff as an adult affected you and did it and and whether it kind of made you look back on things you'd done and things you've been through and the way you behaved and you know things you were really good at uh, mm. in a different light oh yeah i mean it's i was certainly went through so i got diagnosed in earlier this year mm. uh january around january and i was also i'm also on the spectrum which makes a lot of sense and like i'm highly functioning on the spectrum in terms of i have some really intense sensory issues which can only you know they want to label you and allot you to a certain spot so um, I found out that I have OCD, ASD, ADHD, um, and extreme anxiety disorder. So it was a big, it was a big month of um, discovering some things about myself. <laughs> um, but I guess my whole life it had always been joked that I had ADHD um, because of my personality type, and mm. and I, I never really thought about it. And then toward the end of last year, because of this forced lockdown, and I couldn't do the nineteen thousand projects that I like to work on at once. I fell in a hole and was exhausted all the time and rage-filled all the time and couldn't get out of bed and just was – I just thought my iron levels needed checking. Just going to get my iron checked. Um, and I went to my GP who actually delivered me. He's the doctor that pulled me from my oh, mother. Wow. And he said to me, let's check you for perimenopause, which would be very early onset, but it does happen in my family, and ADHD. And so I went and got my hormones checked and they were fine. And I went and sat a test at a neuropsychologist's office and I failed that test so spectacularly. Um, 30 seconds into the attention test, I'd already zoned out. <laughs> and, I, and I said to the nurse, they'd put electrodes on my head. I said, I'm just, I'm sorry, but I can't, can I stop? Like, can you just, I, don't, I think I have it. And she's like, no, just keep going. So you had to press this button every time a blue dot appeared. And I started anticipating the dot. Like I started racing it, thinking it was a game. Yeah, I, I got the diagnosis with the psychologist and he said, look, a normal level is around, you know, a normal brain is zero, a, a severe case is negative 10 and you are negative seven. 
So, yeah, it was huge. It was a huge moment of, first of all, I was elated. I got on meds and it was life-changing within 35 minutes. It was oh, like wow. putting on glasses for the first time. The negative, horrible voice that had been in my head my whole life critiquing every move I made was gone and kind of replaced with like a Madge from Neighbours vibe. Like she was really <laughs> kind. She spoke in like a pack a day soothing tone. She was encouraging. And that other one, it was gone. And I was able to like answer emails and just, so the first month was great. And then the grief hit me and I felt so sad and sorry for, you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old M who was constantly told, you're not trying hard enough, stop distracting other people. Um, you know, you, we've tested your IQ, you're extremely intelligent. Why are you failing these exams? Why are you not, why can't you do your homework? You're so messy. All these things, you're disorganized. I would constantly cut people off, constantly interrupt people. I would hyper-focus on certain things that I loved and then just like could not even keep my eyes open in maths. I would fall asleep in maths all the time. Mm. And I started to believe that I was this horrible person who was just, you know, just a shit human basically. And I was constantly masking and covering that up and overachieving and look at me, I'll be really good at this and really good at that. And by the time I kind of hit 41 I, and we got trapped into this pandemic lockdown situation, I just, everything slammed against a wall. And I just said to my husband, I can't, I, this isn't, I can't go on. I, I have to find another way of being. And then I got this diagnosis and I found that other way of being. And it has been a wild 2021. I mean, I'm 42. I have a 20 year old daughter. I have a 14 year old daughter. I have a two year old son. And I um, have been trying to keep them going, keep my husband going, keep my career going. I'm a stand-up comic who relies on live touring. I've been trying to figure out my brain. Um, so it's been this – I'm glad that we were in a lockdown in a way because yeah. I've been really busy sorting my shit out. But it's been a mixture of grief and relief because everything I ever believed about myself and other people led me to believe about myself was rocked and challenged and all the labels I had – lazy, disorganized, um, you know, erratic, mean, bitch, all those words have been able to be replaced with neurodiverse. And yeah. that's what I am. I am a strange, wonderful, complex, um, highly sensitive individual who has behaved very badly in the past and I'm aware of that and I know how much of that is now linked to that. And the ADHD is not an excuse for being an asshole; It's a reason. Um, so, yeah, it's been overwhelmingly life-changing and great is you know the end result now that's it's like listening to um can you listen to a mirror is that because <laughs> the thing you're talking about where you know you will behave in a certain way because you have impulse control stuff mm -hmm. going on or i used to have this kind of issue in the kitchen used to i still do where the adhd kicks in and i've literally like left a burner on because i remembered that there was some video or trailer i wanted to watch in the next room so i'll just like leave a burner on oh, walk yeah. into the next room how do you find it works with something as high stakes as the kitchen i can't follow recipes i refuse don't tell me what to do like if you i, I had this big hello fresh deal that i had to end because i see recipes as a personal attack so like, I would just, I'd say to my husband, I can't do it, I can't do it. I, I can't do recipes, I can't follow them. Cause I have executive um, dysfunction, obviously. And so I've got this incredible orchestra, but like a crazy airfield dude out the front, just flapping in the breeze. There's no conductor for my orchestra. So <laughs> I'll come in everything with 10 tabs open and not know which tab to go to first. So 
for me, cooking is this wonderful wild experience of I just add this and I'll add this and see what happens here, here, here. You put a recipe in front of me and just I can't, I, I cannot physically do it. So, but for me, when I'm cooking in the kitchen, I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to get the salt from the cupboard. Oh, fuck, this cupboard is so dirty. I'm going to have to sort it out. So I start sorting the cupboard and then I go to get the dish, the dishcloth. Like, oh my God, this dishcloth is disgusting. I'm going to have to go and wash it. Okay, now I need to find something else. That's not environmentally friendly, so I can't clean that. I'll get a towel. All the towels are dirty. Oh my God, we need washing. I'm going to have to get washing detergent. All right, I'm going to go. So then I'll go and get washing detergent and leave something cooking on the stove. Like it's nuts being me. So the medication has actually enabled me to just stay on task. And that's been the biggest. And I'm not advocating medication for everyone, but it's been, that's been the wildest change is that I'm able to stay on task for the first time in my life. That's amazing. Mm. It's just, I, I, I'm, yeah, loving hearing that first of all, I really like stories of thing, positive things that have happened in lockdown. I keep them all in this little book <laughs> in my head. I have a friend who fell in love and they only would have met this person through lockdown. Yeah. A couple of small things that have happened in Paul and I's life that you just go, it just would never have happened. And yeah. this is another one of those ones where I go, shit, that's amazing. Because, oh, yeah. yeah, you may not have, have, have come to this conclusion and that is really exciting. Mm. Have, have you found that as you've grown and begun to understand this, that you're also seeing where the limitations are in other people's understanding? Yes. I mean, initially I said to my therapist, I, it feels really piss weak. It feels like I'm, I'm now able to pinpoint all my trauma, all my comorbidities, everything that has plagued me my entire life and made living my life very difficult. My life to be M is 10 times harder, I think, than to be Scott, my husband, because he's a very like solid, basic, mentally sound human, which is why I married him. And I, I now understand that I thought it was normal that everything was really hard all the time and I felt everything all the time and I was just hanging on to life by the tips of my fingertips and just flying on this wild dopamine hunt. And um, it's hard because it does feel piss weak saying it's just ADHD. And people look at you like, isn't that the thing that 10-year-old boys have that they bounce mm. off walls? And my therapist said to me, it's only piss weak if you're in a pissing contest about it. And I was like, oh, my God. First of all, Lisa, put that on a fucking T-shirt. And secondly, yes. She's right. Who am I competing with? And this has been my issue my whole life. I've been competing with and trying to show some force I couldn't name to you that I'm the best at everything, that I've got everything covered, that I know everything about that topic, that I am shiny and funny and smart and all those things. And I've been trying to prove that to I don't know who. And finally with this, I've been able to drop that incessant need to prove myself to be the shiniest and the best at something. And that's been the greatest thing. It's been a real letdown for my family and my management and people who are used to me functioning at 20 out of 10 all the time. <laughs> but for me, I can just exhale and just really lower the bar. I've just really lowered the bar of expectation. And my poor son, like my other two got crazy manic ADHD undiagnosed Dan where she did all the crafting and handmaking costumes and cooking and chunk. Poor Elio. He's got medicated, sensible mum who's... <laughs> really not getting much done. So <laughs> it's just going to be different for him. But, yeah, I find there's a real stigma around it. I When I go to get my meds, I feel like I get judged. You know, why is this middle-aged woman on stimulant medication that's meant for little children? Are you, like, what are you doing, snorting it, shoving it up your bum? Um, but I, I don't care. And I've now really decided to become an advocate for adult women with ADHD, chronically underdiagnosed because we mask, we don't present the same. And my next stand-up show is going to be, very much around that and I'm writing a children's book about it and um, I've just decided I'm going to – my middle daughter got diagnosed three weeks ago um, with ADHD, inattentive type. Pretty sure Elio, my son, has it 
and he has some hypersensitivity stuff. So it's my job to make the path easier for them in, in the world and other people who don't have a voice. So I'm just going to really become relentless about it. Just hyper-focus. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's <laughs> bloody fantastic. I, I, I find that really exciting because through being so close to Paul and having some other people in my life with ADHD and hearing about their experiences, it feels so isolating. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's lovely to think that, that more people will become aware of this. I mean, I, I love that somebody once described the brain as just a piece of meat with electricity in it, which both freaks me out and <laughs> delights me somehow. Mm-hmm. But the idea that we all expect these hunks of meat with electricity in it to operate in exactly the same way that's mm. that's just bizarre. Mm. So, gosh, I'm so excited to see that show and to read that book. But if I could, could I just take you back a bit? So you say that you don't follow recipes, Mm-mm. and I think that's incredible, but that to me speaks of somebody who, as you said, was just raised around food and has an mm-hmm. instinct in the kitchen, that ability mm-hmm. to go in there and just be able to throw things together. Uh, was this was much of this influence from your mum or was it from your dad or just the whole family? Uh, my, well, on my dad's side, my nonna, definitely, she was the chef and cooked. Every time we went there, her and I would do the cooking together. My dad does all the cooking as well in, in our house. So I grew up a lot of the time helping him. And my dad also doesn't believe in recipes. So it was pretty hectic. It was like survive or die. And if I got anything wrong, if anyone listening has been brought up by an elderly ethnic man, it's <laughs> fucking terrifying and they have no patience and... If you get it wrong once, you're never allowed back in. So it was really baptism of fire for me. And then on the other side, my mum's side, my grandmother, Denise, was president of the CWA in her area. It's Country Women's Association. Oh, that's great. So that shit was an Olympic sport for them. So I had all the Aussie side with the slices and the scones and the hedgehog and the whiplash, which is lemon slice. And so I had all that element and she certainly didn't measure anything. She hand wrote a recipe book out for me with like estimates for things before she died. Oh. And um, so I had the real experience of the CWA cutthroatness and the Italian cutthroatness, but I still ended up loving it. So like, yeah, I mean, I've always loved experimenting with flavors and tastes and I just, I just love food so much. I really do. I got asked to be on Celebrity MasterChef, but um, I was too anxious about f***ing it up. Oh, sorry. I'm, I both completely get that and I'm so sorry to hear that you're not on there because that would have been no. this, this idea of you just buzzing around it would it just be me alternating between crying and needing wine on the telly which I don't <laughs> think they're allowed to do like holding a fishbowl of red while I just chuck in something else and just like just like yelling at Andy Andy you're irrelevant go away and just like <laughs> wanting to see what's under Jock's kilt like I am obsessed with that show and it was too much it was too much to Go on. You'd be fantastic on it. Also, I love the idea that you would just be wandering around, buzzing from station to station. Don't even get you in as a contestant. Have you as someone who just kind of appears like a genie, helps you for 20 minutes and then disappears when you most... (laughs) That's the thing. I would be like, oh, what are you doing that for? Oh, babes, I wouldn't try that. What about a pinch of this? It looks right, smells good. Let me taste, stick my whole hand in there, f***, COVID. Oh, my God, that is stunning. 
I would love to do I could be a, I could be a kitchen hype man, hype woman. I'll just stand in the gantry just shouting affirmations. You could just be, yeah, the yelling person. And then when you leave, they never yeah. know that you were there. They just There's just always a little bit of glitter left behind and they're like, I think she was here. No, it's just like a gay phantom of the opera, just, yeah. just haunting the hell out of that building. I am the camp phantom of the opera. I do enjoy that. I, that's how I intend to um, haunt my family when I pass on. I will be that person. <laughs> How do you think that, I mean, I'm really curious as to how you think hyperfocus, which for me is like the superpower oh, it's aspect. It's my superpower. It, it's yeah. so good. It's So good. It, I describe it as waving a red flag yourself at a yeah. fictional bull and then moving out of the way and making yourself charge at things, yeah. right? So you kind of gamify the system. So have you found that your, you know, focus on the in the entertainment industry, you know, in performing yeah. and doing all this stuff has really benefited from that. And are you curious as to how, once the world opens back up, you are going to fare now that you are medicated? And it, I mean, is that going to be tamped down at all or is it going to be intact? No, I think for me, like I know, now I understand hyperfocus. I can feel myself in, like engaging that mode now. Like I'm really super aware of it. So I picked up Procreate. I picked up an iPad and Procreate, which is a drawing app. And I bought mm. myself an Apple Pencil and I've taught myself to animate in the last two weeks so tell me your ADHD without telling me your ADHD um so I'm now making these little animations that my son is voicing so I just record my son saying random things and then I animate them and it's been so much fun and I, I sat down I said to my husband okay please can you just like I sit down at eight o'clock at night and I'll stay up till three I'm like I'm just gonna sit here and draw I'm just gonna draw and he's like okay and they just put food in front of me and like they just check I'm okay that I'm but I just love it now and I think with all the things I've done with within the entertainment industry I Initially, like I was told very early on that who you are is not quite right for us. You know, you, you're lots of tattoos, you're very opinionated. Men never get called opinionated. You know, you're a size 10, you're, you're an Italian person. Like there's all these things that worked against me and, and I didn't really like being told by middle-aged white men how to be a relatable woman, so commercial radio was not for me. Mm. I don't know. I really early on realised I had to find my own community of weirdos and I did. And so when I decided I was going to hyper-focus on building my own audience, which was, you know, predominantly uh, gay men, lesbians, uh, well, uh, the queer community and straight women, pr- pretty much. Who's left? Straight men don't like me. Once I decided to really focus in on them and making stuff for them, I, it became like this mental sport. Like I, I took it on as a sport and I'm a very competitive person and I loved it and I, it was working. And the more I went niche, the bigger I got. So, you know, I always say to people, go niche to get big. Don't make your art and make stuff for your people. And even if your people are only five people, it will grow. They will tell five more people and it has. And interestingly, when I told everyone I had ADHD within my community, so many people said, me too, me too, me too, me too. Like I've attracted these people, just, you know, I found my tribe. So the hyper-focus enabled me to build an audience and then make the stuff for them that they tell me they want to hear. I'm really, really engaged with the people that buy tickets to my shows and buy my merch and listen to my podcast because I went out and found them, because I focused on finding them. I have a career mm-hmm. and I have a, a Spotify contract and I, and I have all these things that a lot of people told me in the industry, like a lot of comics don't like me because I didn't do the rooms and I didn't come up through the traditional way and broadcasting didn't like me because I came from reality TV and the music industry don't like me because I came from reality TV and it's you know I never really found peers or comrades who would take me in so it's been really lonely as a performer not having peers and not having people who be like hey you want to come do this you want to come to that so yeah I went out and built my own kind of corner of the universe so 
I don't think I would have been able to do that if I didn't have the ADHD. I don't think I would have my career. I'm glad I got diagnosed at 40 because I was able to kind of build this whole infrastructure that only an undiagnosed woman with ADHD could do. Um, but now I'm just really tired of uh, the infrastructure. <laughs> oh, and now no. I am benefiting off of that. Sometimes, Paul, you might feel this because of the ADHD. Sometimes I feel guilty when I sit down and do nothing. Like I sit down and my brain starts searching for projects mm. and I've really slowed down the work Having said that, like my daughter pointed out to me last night, what are you doing? You're doing the kids' book, the novel, the podcast, and next year's show. And I said, yeah, that's like only four projects. Normally I have 10, so I am getting better. Yeah. But now I'm able to benefit and enjoy from the manic hard work really unhinged M put in for two decades because I didn't enjoy it then. I was unhappy and overworked and just like it was bad I was in some bad bad times mentally the last 20 years mm. and now I'm really happy and balanced and I understand myself uh I kind of thank her and and I'm benefiting from that so it wasn't for nothing all mm. that pain I went through it, it wasn't for nothing now I'm able to be 42 and enjoy my family and my job and not take everything personally because the other thing is I have uh, rejection sensitivity dysphoria mm. and take any slight negative thing as an affront to myself and my ancestors so I am much better at that but um yeah the the ADHD has been a blessing completely and utterly and I'm so I'm proud to have my brain I, I've never had another one but I'm glad for what she did for me when she was undiagnosed and I'm glad we're able to kind of look at that and enjoy it now yeah. I always think of my brain as the Millennium Falcon, right? So it's a hunk of junk, and when it works, it's incredibly fast and yeah. very sexy. And if it doesn't work, it just doesn't do anything. It floats oh uselessly. Same. But that's part of the charm, right? Yep. Yep. It's interesting. You're, I think you're the third person on this show who has discussed the fact that at some point in their career, they've been told that they were completely wrong. Oh and uh, all of those guests were, were women, and I think one of the big uh, – factors common factors between all those women is they work really fucking hard mm. and as somebody who did actually come up in comedy through the rooms if it's anything that was still really lonely <laughs> and I did it the way you're meant to so I think it's you know I think if you're somebody who starts feeling some level of success there are still always pockets of the industry that that don't love that because you are working no. really hard and it's interesting that but you have found this happy place and that mm. is that is just so lovely to hear now. It's really, really wonderful. We have brought you here. We have trapped you here on our island. So I'm, I'm glad you figured out how to spend downtime because there's going to be a lot of it. But we need to figure out what your desert island dish is. And now I'm just so intrigued because you've said that we are not going to like it. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, you'll like it. But it's not what people expect because I, uh, people who know me well know I love food. My desert island dish is tacos. <laughs> This is great. Are we talking like a traditional Aussie family, Old El Paso yes. powdered... Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. 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 A hundred percent. Old El Paso, like with the with the pre-made packaging, oh. with the sauce and the foil envelope. A hundred percent. I thought, I'll explain to you why. It was the first, the first wedding I ever went to, I was a flower girl. I was five. And it was my auntie. She's Aussie, married another very Aussie person. And they had at their wedding a taco buffet. And as a little Italian girl, it was the first time I'd ever seen a taco buffet. And I remember just going, what do you mean I can put whatever I want into this delicious corn chip shell? <laughs> so I half filled it with like plastic grated cheese. 
and then like delicious meat and a bit of sauce and like one tomato and one bit of lettuce so I didn't get in trouble and I bit into that thing and the juices dripped down my chin and that moment imprinted on me and ever since tacos are just my go-to happy meal I love it I love and it's basic we have the meat um, we make a mix of sour cream and avocado with salt Ooh. and lemon and we mix that up that's it we have tomatoes and iceberg lettuce and that's the, that's it that's the, that's our tacos nothing fancy nothing spicy but that's what I would take I think that this is I mean I think first of all from this moment on if there are any women out there who are engaged and they listen to this episode <laughs> they are gonna have a taco wedding why didn't we think of that Paul I'm so pissed we went, to, we went to Paris and had some fancy bullshit we should have just gone. Stayed here and had tacos. Yeah. Had a, had, we should have had the, the, the bridal party carry us like the kid from the old El Paso. Just... Why not have both? <laughs> yeah, you should have worn taco hats. Yep. We should have worn taco hats. Walk around just eating from your hat all night. It's so, yeah, it's basic, but it's just the meal. Like my girls make it for me. We'd have it at least once a week, maybe twice a week. My oh. husband is sick of it because he's been with me for 20 years and he's had to have it. He's like, can we try other things? I said, no, how dare you? That's blasphemy. We will have the same to be prepared. It's never deviated. The recipe has never. And some people have tried to introduce things like jalapenos or like some guacamole mix. I'm like, no, 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 no. Do not besmirch the OG taco. Like this, I cannot. I am not flexible in my thinking at all around how the tacos would be presented. And the taco order, the, the way in which you stack the ingredients, may I ask? Yes. How do you two stack your individual tacos? I need to know the order. And then I will tell you the correct order okay. if it's not the same as mine. All right. So here's my logic. So first you go the meat, of course. Yes. Now, I think you've actually got to go the cheese next so that you yes! get some I level knew, of melt. I knew you thinking. and I were the same. I knew, yeah, yeah, I agree. Why, why, why cheese? Why? Well, because otherwise it just, first of all, it falls off if it's on top. Yes. And we are not talking about an amazing cheese, so there needs to be the melt quality into the meat. I think that's the whole point here. That's my girl. That's my girl. Yes. Next. Now, now the question is whether you're going, you know, a sauce next, the lettuce or a tomato, because you're doing lettuce and tomato on top. Yes, and they separately cut. So remember, yep. your, your options are you've got the, the sour cream avocado mix, you've mm-hmm. got the lettuce, the tomato, and then the silver foil sauce. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. so what I'm going to do next is I'm going to go lettuce next and then put the tomato on top to smush the lettuce down into it or else lettuce is just going to fly everywhere. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I going well so far? I would put the guac on top of the cheese so the lettuce has a decent foundation to sink Ooh, into, therefore like in place. This. It's like the glue. It's like brick laying, right? You want to pr- press the bricks into the wet cement. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really that's really interesting because I'm, I'm an upside down hot dog guy. So I will put the sauce un- in the bun and then put the put the thing in the, the, the hot but dog. But I think that makes sense. I do that too. And that's to stop everything flying out. Yeah. Now, the problem, the only problem, whether it's a problem, whether it's a bug or a feature of the old El Paso Aussie, and I would love to know what actual Mexicans think of this version of Mexican <laughs> food, but the thing is when you get the shell and everything's stacked up, first of all, I always go way too high, like I overfill, yeah. right? Yeah, but then you bite in and the first bite, the friggin' thing cracks in half and you've basically got this architectural nightmare. It's like yeah. a building falling into the ocean. So how do you, my, my question is not how do you construct it, it's how do you eat this thing like a human being and not like a person holding together slops of food between two shards of corn chips? Yeah, it's a metaphor for my life. That <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you there's been an evolution in this house for that very reason. 
because my middle child has sensory stuff, doesn't like things running down her fingers. So she invented the taco bowl. And I've come around to the taco bowl. We had taco bowls last night, actually. And basically it is um, corn chips, Mm. proper corn chips laid next to the meat, laid next to the cheese, laid next to the guacamole. Same order, lettuce, tomatoes, then drizzle the sauce all over the top. All over the top. And then just eat it as like drag the corn chips in order through the delicious layers. So the taco bowl can restore your dignity if you so want to. I really love the lack of dignity in that first bite. And then it's just on. <laughs> then you're in a race against time. Yeah. And you've got to get it in your gob without like spearing your tonsil with the corner of a stray shard of, te- of shell. So for me, I enjoy that moment of reckless abandon. Oh, my God, my life is out of control. I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I'm on the top of Falcor. I'm bastion. And I enjoy it. But for those of you who like to be more in control of your food at the time of consuming, I highly recommend the taco bowl. Isn't that just nachos, though? How dare you? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that from you. I'm not criticizing. Because <laughs> no, let, let me tell you something about my my unique brain. If I have nachos, right, I have a rule in my head. I have to have the exact same amount of every single uh, you know aspect of the dish, whether it's the beans or the salsa or whatever, yeah. uh, and cheese on each chip. So Correct. if I finish and there is a disproportionate amount of either chips or topping, I fucked up and I I have a breakdown. Yeah, me so- too. I feel the same way. It's why I don't make tacos. This is why you don't put the taco bowl near the oven. Like you don't want to, you don't warm it up. You right. just like have them in neat rows. You can't fail. Yeah. They're in neat, stunning rows. It's a deconstructed taco, sir. Do you know what I mean? It's still layered in the correct order. It's deconstructed. Still got the shell at the bottom, the meat, the cheese, the the glue of the kind of semi-guac, mm. the tomatoes, the lettuce, the tomatoes, the sauce. It's still there. It's just kind of taken apart. It's a people's food. And I think what tickles me is that for the very first time uh, last week, we tried to guess what food you'd bring to Dish Island. And we, we didn't get it right. We actually thought that it would be something in a more sweet dessert area. And we thought it could be something akin to a supermarket ice cream cake, but a better version of that. Oh, my God. Well, yes. The other thing I would bring is my dessert, because what are you going to make me not have dessert, is a vanilla ice cream with ice magic on top. And the, the ratio of ice magic should be three quarters of a bottle of ice magic to one tiny scoop of vanilla ice cream. Can Tegan Tegan is looking like a like Okay, so here's the here's We the have prob- to ban it. Yeah, so because <gasps> I got I'd get out of hand. You would literally Oh my t- god, oh my god, same. She would suck from this thing like it was a boo. It was horrifying. <laughs> same. And you know you got to put it in the microwave towards yes. the end of its life. Yeah, and then Paul once came in and I had with a serrated I wrecked the good bread knife <laughs> yep. because with the good bread cut knife I cut it open. I'm like, my tongue is cutting on the edges because I'm like, ah, yeah. ah, I needed all the ice. And so we can't have it in the house during lockdown because it, um, it just, it doesn't make, good things don't happen if there's ice magic in the house. But, but your ratio, none of this drizzling it on top. I went to this woman's house when I was younger and she used to make the ice magic into spider webs. So it'd be this fine lace. Oh. It's like, no. No, I want a chock top in my bowl, right? Basically. <laughs> God. Complete coverage. I like white chocolate. Cho- um, if anyone knows where you can get white chocolate ice it's magic, gone. is it? It's dead. <sighs> it's dead now. I had to go to the hospital and get stitches when I was a kid. I have a scar because I was trying to slice open the ice magic bottle with the bread knife. <gasps> oh, well, true that, story. That's amazing. Oh I'm God. so sorry, but I love that. <laughs> no, that's no, great. it's my ice magic scar. It's that's like it's great. worth it. Part of the way through uh, lockdown two, I came home from something and Tegan held up the bottle, which was half gone. And we bought it that the previous day and she says, take it away. And I literally went and threw it in the bin because she knew that she was going to just drink it. 
intact. I'm, I'm worried if it was really cold, right, and you drank ice magic, could it harden in your stomach? Yeah, and remember you? we tried that and then I opened my ha- mouth and put my my head in the freezer and it didn't work. <laughs> That's really- I love that you did that experiment and I hope it was documented. That is the kind of shit I think about. I lay awake and I think about, did it go, would it go hard in my stomach if I went into one of those stupid cryogenic things that the Real Housewives always do? You know, they stand in those... Those things that freeze you. If it's I had the, eaten a whole bunch of ice magic, would it freeze in my stomach? Em, you know em, what? It's, it's the perfect murder. I, no, but I love that. I- <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't want to knock off a real housewife. Death by ice uh, magic. No, it just tickles me. We've got to go to one of those cryo-freeze places because the whole idea is about, you know, health and being hyper-hyper-viral and they're chugging oh. ice magic. <laughs> yeah. Just hang on. Just hang on. I've just got to take my ice magic. Yeah. <laughs> In. That seems like a good, if not undignified, way of finishing this episode. But Em, thank you so much for joining us on Dish Island today. Thank you for having me, you two. It's been a joy. I took you some places. I probably spoke too much and I'll lay awake tonight forensically picking over everything I said and panicking that I've offended people and said stupid things. But that's just the joy of me. Well, there you have it, folks. Em Ruciano. And I've got to ask, Paul, do you feel differently about your ADHD now that you've had this opportunity to chat with Em? I feel a lot better, actually. It's always really nice to talk to people in the industry that you're in who have the same stuff going on that you do, you know? I feel like I just met a kindred spirit. I'm, I'm a lot more relaxed right now. Do you feel like you understand me a little better? I do, but what's odd is, given the ice magic thing, I also felt like I met a kindred spirit in M, just on a slightly different level. God, she's she's so wonderful. She's so great. Well, look, thanks so much to M for joining us this week, and thank you so much to all of you for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you soon. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish Island is a proud member of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.